Liesl, officially welcome to Bottled. It's finally yes, happened thank now. Thank you so much for, for having me on. Yeah, um, I've been looking forward to this. And I must say the past few days, just diving into your website and looking at a few articles, it's been it's been good. It, yes, it, it, thank it, you. you really do have a feel good website there. Good. Thank you. Thank you. That's what we, we aim to do is give people a better, more balanced view of the state of the world. You know, that the doom and gloom that we see constantly is not actually the, the balance of what's happening in the world. That that on the whole, and not to be Pollyanna or to sugarcoat the world, but on the whole, there are lots of people solving the world's big problems and we need to have that balance in order to, to make progress towards a better future. Mm. And it definitely does reflect on your website as well. And just for the benefit of the listeners, you are the Chief Executive Officer of Ever Widening Circles, right? Yeah, so CEO of Ever Widening Circles, soon to be um, the Goodness Exchange. Um, we're doing a really exciting rebrand, relaunch of the company uh, beginning of December, uh, where we're taking all of these elements of Ever Widening Circles that we've grown out over the past eight years um, from education site to a social media network to the website Ever Widening Circles and bringing them all into one place so that people kind of have a home for goodness on the internet instead of having to go to all these disparate places. Yeah, big things happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, so as a part of your work with Ever Widening Circles, what exactly do you do? What's, what's your mission? What's your purpose behind working for the organization? Yeah, yeah. So the organization itself, our mission is to change the negative dialogue about our times. And I came into Ever Widening Circles itself, um, sort of not a classically positive person. I don't think anybody in my life would describe me as like Miss Mary Shun Sunshine. Um, I came in after graduating from Harvard, um, actually to help my mom who had started the project a year before. Um, and I was a pretty cynical person, probably not the most fun person to be around at the holidays when it came to like talking about positive things. And so I came into it and discovered my own sort of transformation through being around the content, sort of seeing the world in more balanced terms, um, finding a particular interest as well in helping young people uh, change the way that they saw the world. So my big mission has always been to get our work into education um, so that young people have an understanding that the world is a good place and can make better choices as a result. Yeah, um, no, definitely. I think, um, I think depending on where you begin to spread the good things around in the world, I think young people have the most impact mm -hmm. because we are way ahead in technology. We're way ahead in communication in terms of um, whatever is new. Maybe mm -hmm. it, it could be culture, could be about society. And I think mm -hmm. um, the fact that you focus on young people, uh, on spreading mes message to them, I think that is a good way forward. Yeah, yeah. For us, it's really important at least for me in my work, um, to focus in yeah. on bringing in particularly young people like grade, grade schoolers. So we do have like a overarching um, huge generation. It's very interesting. We, we span generations. We have a huge population of users that are uh, 18 years old, and then we have a huge population that are in their 60s. And so it's this really interesting mm -hmm. balance that we're able to do something very unique in the media space in bringing in people from both sides of the generation gap. And I think that that is a testament to the way our team works and the way that our organization works on works on creating content that anybody can feel, you know, speaks to the fact that it's still an amazing world. But we have people from across the political spectrum. We have people from across yeah. age gaps. Um, and I think that that's really, really important that we all, I think at our core, we know what goodness looks like and we all want it. And I think... That yeah. is this great equalizer among among everybody. Yeah. And along with content or let's say articles or interviews or podcasts on the website, um, are you are you focusing on anything else? Like let's say for example, activities or or is that where you're headed with the goodness exchange? Yeah, so for us, um, our next big step with the goodness exchange is we launched um, actually like a social media network for people that want to do good in the world um, back in February of last year. And from that, we started creating more events, more workshops so that people who wanted to do more good in the world could not only like have a way to connect with each other from across great distances. Um, I say that people that do good are very often like little pinpoints of light. And we have to like kind of now like focus our beam of light into one place. So we have yeah. um, events and we have workshops that we also work through. 
Um, and then in addition, um, we, with the Goodness Exchange, are building out opportunities for sort of deeper learning for people so that, you know, these amazing mm -hmm. people that we talk to, uh, that these thought leaders that are like knee deep and doing good in the world, um, that people can learn directly from them through workshops and, and in future, hopefully some mini courses as well. Yeah, um, I, was, I was reading through a few articles of yours, and um, it led me somehow to one of um, a TED talk of uh, Steven Pinker about um, if or not the world is in a better place right now than it was, let's say, 30 years ago. And I think uh, he shared quite a few facts and figures. And I think a lot of a lot of the problem pointed towards how the news agencies or the media is portraying the current state of the world. And I think uh, from what I've uh, seen on your website, um, as a viewer, your theme is to sort of kill the negative narrative that's there right now with the news media. And uh, would you agree that media or let's say news media for the sake of simplicity is where the, the core of the problem is right now? So I, I actually think that it's a bit more nuanced. And I think this is really important because I think people do need to watch the news and do need to be informed. We can't make great strides in goodness if we don't understand the problems the world is facing. And so whenever somebody comes to me and is like, I, because of you, I went on like a news fast. I stopped listening to the news and, and taking in all that. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, no, that is not what we want to happen. Because really, if you think about it, the news is kind of, and the media, I should just say media in general, um, mm -hmm. the reason why we get such negativity, it stems from a very interesting place. So the news is newsworthy because it actually doesn't happen all that often. You know, you're not reporting on like the every day, you know, a hundred thousand more people are yeah. out of poverty or, you know, or 10, 000, tens of thousands of people more are out of poverty. You're not reporting on the fact that a ton of planes didn't crash, right? Like that's, that's normal stuff. Goodness is kind of normal, actually. And so what happens mm. is the news is, is, especially if you're kind of one of those people that's constantly checking in with it, media seems so negative because it's reporting on things that actually don't happen all that often, when on the whole there is progress. Yeah. And then on top of that, our own brains are trained to see things in terms of what we mm -hmm. see most. So this is, this is just an oddity of our brains, whereby if we are keyed into constantly seeing negativity our brains will see negativity out there more often. So we kind of have this issue where the way that our brains work is making it incredibly difficult for us mm -hmm. to like see positivity because we're like constantly inundated with negativity. And on the other hand, we have yeah. the, the problem, quote unquote, of the news um, being so negative. And so, yes, the news is negative, yeah. but they are reporting on things that we do need to know about. So I always tell people to look at the, the news or any kind of media like a diet and that those big, mm -hmm. huge news stories are, are like big, heavy dishes. Like you can't eat them all the time. You're going to be really sick. But if you eat yeah. them once a day, it's like that big bowl of porridge in the morning or that big nutritious dinner at night. You can't eat that every five minutes. You can, if you have it two times a day, you'll be really good three times a day. And then at the same time, yeah. you can't consume media that's junk food. Like, And I would argue that a lot of what we see on social media is kind of that junk food media. So that's going to yeah. make you feel crappy as well. Um, and so what we try and do with ever widening circles to extend the metaphor is to kind of give people like a fresh organic salad to be like, Hey, here's this thing that's going to balance out your diet. It's going to be quite healthy. You're going to like it. It's not too weird that you're going to be like, I don't like the taste of this. You know, it's not like a niçoise fancy salad. It's like, you know, here's some croutons mm -hmm. and some stuff. And I think that if we started to look at the way that we consume media more like a diet, I think we'd be a little bit more mindful of when we're satiated instead of like filling ourselves up to yeah. the brim with stuff that made us feel bad. And it would help us sort of balance out. We would create a more balanced media diet for ourselves um, mm. in terms of what a good food, you know, diet of food would look like. Um, so that's the way mm. I try and tell people to help people conceptualize the media is I don't think the media, I think it's hard to point to the media, like the media is the problem. They're part of it, but also yeah. our, our own misunderstanding of what the media is there for is another part of the problem. Mm. Definitely. The media is uh, 100% uh, a major part of it as well, because it's so easy to just crawl on Facebook, like you said, or TikTok or wherever, any news site, and just see all these articles and you can get hooked onto it for 30, 35 minutes easy and then realize, snap back into reality thinking, oh, 
uh, well, I've been scrolling through for hours now. And I think um, a lot of organizations, let's not just say news media organizations, but a lot of organizations, even like Facebook or even YouTube, they're sort of cashing in on it. And that's my opinion based on the fact that, you know, you see all these um, um, users believing what they see and organizations leading towards the left or the right. And I think that has, um, you know, as a consumer, I feel, I feel worried. And um, yeah, I, I, I was wondering really... if... Oh, sorry. I I just want to point out there that I think it's really important that we become educated consumers of anything, right? I wouldn't go eat, you know, I wouldn't go take a supplement every single day if I didn't do the research on it. And then if it made me sick and I hadn't done the research on it, like, I think it's a bit on both sides. Like, and, and if we are educated consumers, we can ask the the makers of whatever we're consuming Mm. to do better. So I think this is kind of the problem of, particularly social media, as I think, and sort of the hype around how bad the internet and social media can be, is that we've just kind of left it as internet consumers, like, oh, it's bad. But we haven't really dug into why it's bad. And so we can't, we don't really know how to have an intelligent conversation with those people that are making social media in order to ask for change. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think one, we have to be educated consumers and and know mm-hmm. that there is a agenda to a lot of these things. They're trying to get more eyeballs on there. They're they're making things that make us stay on longer. And at the same time, when we understand that, we can ask for change and we can educate ourselves and particularly much, much younger people um, on how to use this yeah. technology and this media. Mm. And I'm sure you're aware of uh, the, the number of people or the fraction of people who lean towards uh, positive uh, media outlets such as yours. Um, like we look for positive news. Uh, we look for things that are happening good around the world, but not a lot of people do that. And I'm sure you're aware of that as well. So how do we become educated consumers? Like where do we start? Yeah, I think one of the first places to start um, is to understand where we started, where we talked about earlier, about how media gets made, about how the news gets made. Um, And I think that then we can start to understand that positive news is a little bit harder to make, for lack of a better term, sexy, because it is happening every single day, right? And there is this big emotional pull with the negative news. And so I think it comes with being, being consumers um, you have to start with sort of a, becoming more mindful of what you're, what you're consuming, right? So we have this thing that we call the four shifts that, that people, we ask people to like to think about, which is this framework for basically it started as this framework that helped people sort of change the, the presets on their algorithms that were sending them such negative stuff. But it turns out that our brains actually run on algorithms too. So it actually helps you kind of retrain your brain at the same time. So the four shifts are yeah. first to, they're this, this process that helps you become more mindful of the media you consume. So to walk through them just very quickly, the first one is to pause. So the, the internet is an attention economy. I mean, anything is an attention economy because the more you click on things, the more ad revenue comes in or, or whatever, whatever money the, the, that media place is making is, is um, it's getting more of that. So first pause to see like, and ask yourself like, okay, do I really need to click on this? The second thing is to ignore more. So ignore more of the things that are building chaos, that are making you feel feel, feel fearful, that are eliciting this like morbid sense of curiosity. Like, can you believe how this star looks now? You know, that's just kind of a silly example. But it's the kind of stuff that like in less harmful, weird um, ways exists all over the internet, this kind of flashy way of being. So if you ignore more, you not only start to retrain your your computer algorithms, but you also start to retrain your algorithms in your brain to sort of be like, okay, I'm going to let that go. I don't need to go like comment on that negative thing. So there is a pause, ignore more, seek signs of goodness and progress. And this one is really important when it comes to where do we start, right? So go follow some artists that you love, go follow some, some accounts that make you smile, even if they're kind of for the moment, those kind of like one-off, like boy saves puppy kind of things. Because what will happen is you will start to tell the algorithms of the internet, like I prefer this kind of more positive content. And at the same time, you're yeah. actually retraining your brain to see the ter- your, you, the world in more positive terms. And then what will happen is things will actually come to you that are more positive. So I think you have to be proactive in seeking out things that are positive um, to start with. Um, and, and then they will start to come at you just by the nature of the world. And then the biggest thing out there at the end of that, so you can help other people see less, less negativity Mm -hmm. in the world 
um, is to share uh, signs of goodness and progress because it's one thing to just like it. It's one thing to just read about it. But if you are sharing it at a dinner table when everybody's being super negative or you're sharing it on your Facebook or you're sharing it to your Instagram stories, you're like making it so other people know about that thing. So you're making it possible for the person who's doing good to do more good, right? So yeah. These are the four steps, uh, pause, ignore, seek, and share that I think start to give us a framework for how to use the internet better, how to see the world in more positive terms. And then from that, I think it's, it helps us build better, like internet hygiene for a lack of a better term, just like how long do you brush yeah. your teeth? Two minutes, right? When do you go to the dentist? Two times a year. Um, you start to sort of, these things become automatic. What you're clicking on, you're not just clicking out of like mindlessness. You're not just engaging with negative conversation because it's the thing you're used to doing. You're able to be more yeah. uh, mindful of how you're using the media. Yeah. And you've mentioned such a um, an important word, internet hygiene. And I think it has to come across from all um, all spectrums, from the consumer side, from the creator side as well. And I think using apps like TikTok or even Facebook, it just something that makes me angry is um, when I say angry, angry in the sense of, uh, you know, something that is wrong and should be fixed in terms of how we view content is if there's something being shared around like good news, positive news, something that's motivating or inspiring or some someone creating something like a painting or music, it doesn't get as much views or likes and all in air quotes um, on these uh, platforms. But if someone's sharing a negative news or something like a clickbait title, it goes viral instantly. And um, it's, it's just something I think I, I sometimes question myself, where did we go wrong? Yeah. Like, how did we come to this? Is in why isn't good news celebrated so much as negative news? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Good news celebrated as much as the yeah. other one. Yeah, yeah. So I think that there's, this is a really interesting question. And I think it's one that we have to like sit down and pause and look at and say, where are we actually in the history of the internet? You know, when they invented the, this is a really funny story that my sister loves to tell. When they mm. invented the 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 Gutenberg um, press, like so that they could like mass produce books. The intellectual elite were like, "This can't happen. People will write bad books, and then people read will read dumb books. And if everyone's reading dumb books, they'll become much much dumber." And there was this panic over like people being able to buy books cheaply and produce books cheaply. There was a panic over that, right? So. Yeah. As it turns out, I think books actually on the whole have done a lot more positive than negative. And I think that we have to understand that though the world is moving very fast, the internet is still very young. And we are like a child running with scissors when it comes to the power of the internet, right? So mm. think about the way the internet is formed. The rules are made by a bunch of like 20-somethings. The major businesses that are that like control the internet are made by a bunch of 20-somethings. And I mean, I myself am a 20 something, but there are things that I did when I was 24 years old that I'm like, what a dumb decision, right? So we, I think we have to remember here that we are in this age of the internet where the rules of the internet, as we know them today, were being constructed by a lot of young people. Like I can even think about when I was in high school, it was perfectly acceptable to do this thing called chat roulette, where you would like go into these chat rooms with like perfect strangers and like weird things were happening in these rooms and you just like yeah. roulette through them. And this was perfectly acceptable behaviors yeah. for some reason. Um, and I think that we're starting to understand that like, oh, the internet is a real place in the sense that like people are going there and they're having a lived experience. And it's time that we yeah. take that a little bit more seriously. Like it's having this, this world of things that we don't understand. I think a lot of people don't understand how the internet works. I work in it every day. I'm yeah. like, what? How do we get here? Right. So I think that we have to remember that this is a very new technology that almost everyone in the world get, has access to right now, which has good things and it yeah. has bad things. And I think, again, this is the story of on the whole, I think the internet has done an incredible amount of good. It's made it possible for people to get loans that would have never gotten loans to start small businesses in places that are far across the world. It has made it possible for more young people to, um, to like see the world. It has made it possible for you and I to talk from Slovenia. Like it is, it is incredible what the internet is possible. And I think this is again, a case mm -hmm. of like, there are bad things happening on the internet and we become so focused on them. Yet, yes, they do yeah. be changing. But I think that if we were to reflect upon all of the 
the positive things that have come out of the internet, what we would do is construct a way of using the internet that moves towards those positive things. Whereas right now what Mm -hmm. we're doing is we're just sitting in the negative of what the internet has caused and trying to block those things as opposed to opening up more pathways of good that can happen for the internet. So that's a bit how I feel about like most big problems that the world is facing. If we sit here and just complain about all of the bad things happening with climate change, instead of Mm. opening up the possibilities and talking about all the incredible stuff that's happening, we don't inspire anybody to go do it. We just make them sad about the, like, why would we want to make people sad about the future and then make them on, you know, have a sense of future fatalism about what's going to happen. You know, I can do anything and it's not going to make a difference. Whereas I think with the internet, if we were to, to start talking about what was positive and say, what do we want more of? we would start to create those systems and I think support people who are making positive media because we're like, Oh, the internet can be an outlet for this, that the regular media isn't providing right now. So that's sort of a long winded way of saying, I think, and again, this is not to be Pollyanna. I'm not a Pollyanna person, but we do need to focus Mm -hmm. on positive things. If we want to work towards a constructive future, instead of alienating people who might have great ideas on how we make the world a better place. Yeah. Uh, I apologize. What's Pollyanna? Um, so Pollyanna is this way of looking at the world that's like, you know, rose-colored glasses, kind of like, oh, everything is beautiful and bright and and and, and nothing Got is it. bad. Yeah. And it comes from like an old movie mm-hmm. where this girl like moves to the city and her name is Pollyanna and she like can't see any of the badness that's happening ah. in the big city. And sorry, it's a term that we use in the US, in the States a lot because we get called it a lot. Um, where <laughs> she like moves and she's like, oh, I don't see any of the badness. And like people are getting like killed in yeah. the street or whatever. Um, and so for <laughs> us, it's really important that we don't get, that's not what we're doing. We're not, we're yeah. not trying to sugarcoat anything. Hmm. We're just trying to present no. a more balanced view of what's actually out there. Yeah. I understand. Uh, in a smaller scale, I think uh, being Pollyanna uh, is important as well. It depends on context, but mm-hmm. I'll give you a quick example. So we play games every night. We play Defense of the Ancients, which is a heavily team-based game. And um it can get quite rough. It can get very competitive depending on what the situation in the game is. And the mental awareness or your mental state in the game is equally as important as the skill you present in that particular um, match that you're playing. And we have a friend in the team who is always very positive. Like we're losing. We know we are 100% going to lose that game. There is no way we're coming out. But this guy always is, is always positive. He's like, no, we can do this. There, There is a way out. There's something that can be done. And I think once out of maybe a game out of 20, we come back. Like his words come true. And I think that's the most beautiful thing ever when it does come true and come true. And I think we need some people like that sometimes. We do. We actually have a term for them. I call them, well, we call them the joyful ones. And there are these people in our lives that are like, they're like indomitably joyful. And that doesn't mean they've lived like high on a cloud lives. They can have lived really tough lives. And yet somehow they're able to, be joyful in times that I think most of us are like not, whether it's playing a game or like the world is really going to shit around you. Um, And I think what's really, really important about supporting the joyful ones is that they are, I think an example of what's possible when we embrace unlimited possibility, right? Whereby your friend can see that there is a possibility even when everything seems so slim. Right. And so I think that's such a great example, I think, of this idea that the joyful ones bring, which is if we look at the world in terms of possibility instead of in terms of like deficit, i.e. what's not there versus what could be there, um, that's such a, it's, it's such a, a little twist on how people can see the world. But I think what we can take from the joyful ones is that, that idea that we can turn any, any, any moment on its head by just asking, instead of asking what's not here or what don't I have, into what what is possible in this moment. And I think it's a really hard skill for people to have who are not naturally joyful. Um, I can't say that I've perfected Mm -hmm. it, but it's something that I've definitely learned over time running into so many people who have this indomitable spirit to just keep going. And I should say most of the people that we meet along the way in this journey of positivity or that are doing great good in the world, they, they aren't in like, they're not, 
superhuman in their ability to see the world in positive terms. They're not superhuman. They're not like the most bubbly person in the world. They're like doing really gritty, mm-hmm. difficult jobs. They're having to face, you know, poaching, be in the face of poaching every day or watch swaths of the rainforest disappear or mm-hmm. children that go homeless. Like they, they see the bad in the world. And yet they still think the world is a good place because they run into time and time again, people who are willing to donate, people who are willing to help. They have found ways in which to bring mm. light to situations um, and and have a really d- deep I- impact. And I think that's really important that we don't think it's a superhuman strength to do good in the world because it is something... Yeah. It is not something that these people are totally normal. They they go and they have dinner with their families. They love people around them the same way. They're not superhuman. But and I think what that means for all of us is like we don't have to be superhuman either to go do and be and mm. be good in the world. Yeah. Do you think uh, being joyful is a result of some people facing more hardships? When they were a child or in school or college, university, like some people go through things more than the others do you think that's one factor i i I hesitate to say yes to that because i think it brings up a a bigger conversation than i i recently had on another podcast whereas i don't think we need to glorify tragedy in the sense that like oh tragedy makes you so much better i work a lot with, with kids that that are severely underprivileged and come from terrible situations. And I wouldn't wish Mm. that on anybody. Like kids can develop grit in other ways without having to go through profound tragedy. They can develop joy without having to go through profound tragedy. And so I think a way of, there are ways to cultivate joy and there are ways to cultivate grit in without having to like be a part, like witness firsthand genocide or, you know, war or all these bad things or famine or a divorce or any of those things. Right. So I think what we can do to cultivate grit and to cultivate joy for people is to make them, especially, I think it starts with young people. And this is why I love the work I do is to show kids all the possibility that's out there in the world. I think one of the things Mm. that kids that like grow up fast because of bad things, they see like the world in like terms of like, this may go away or this may not be forever. Or Mm. I, I, and I, and I think, I don't think you have to experience bad to be able to experience gratitude. But if you show kids that Mm. like, this is how people are living in Mongolia. This is what that like, you know, this is how we stop deforestation. This is what life looks like for people that, you know, live in Japan or in, Mm. in Afghanistan or Iraq. Like when you show young people what the breadth and depth of, human life can look like humanity can look like i think what that does for you is it opens up your ability to empathize and i think from empathy we get joy and from empathy we get a sense of grit right this idea that if we can open ourselves up to understand that we are not alone that our experiences are unique to us but that they're shared in many ways with other people around the globe I think you get like a shared sense of humanity and from that you can get grit and from that you can get joy. And so I think that we can work from an assets-based approach when it comes to helping kids see the world in bigger terms and then become adults that work through joy and empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that can come not from tragedy, but instead from simply understanding there's a wider world around them Um, and, um, and seeing that other people live very different lives and that, they share similarities with, with themselves. It sounds silly. And I, and I, because it's one of those things that I think we think about in kindergarten, like, Oh, it's a kindergarten concept. Like other people love their families too, but I think we forget that. And that gets a little beaten out of us as we become adults. So Mm. that's what I, that's my opinion on that. Um, I'm sure child psychologists would have a different opinion, but I think I personally, I, I, I hope that we start to step away from the narrative that bad things have to happen to people in order to Mm. make, make themselves good. Because I think what it does is it glorifies tragedy that can be really difficult for most people. I think it's a very slim margin of people that come out yeah. of tragedy and are whole people at the end. Um, and I, yeah. I'm, I'm wary of glorifying tragedy in that way. That's a very unique way of thinking about this. I've never, I've never thought of it that way. So I'm glad I asked the question. Um, so just going back to, um, you know how you said there are a few positive uh, media organizations working right now. Are there many? I think that there are a lot, but they're working in obscurity. And I say this because 
I've been interviewed by so many podcasters like yourself who like have a positive spin on what they do. We have so many connections with different organizations who each have like a niche of goodness. I think that this is, this is kind of a thing is I don't think we give good news, the nuance that it deserves Mm. or positive news, the nuance it deserves, right? Like I wouldn't go to like, let's say nature, which is like a very popular, like science magazine. I wouldn't go to nature to look up politics, right? I wouldn't like, that wouldn't be where I go for my like latest political news. Neither would I go to the financial times to know what's happening in like breakthroughs in science. And I think that good news is kind of the same thing. There is a genre of good news. That's like boy saves puppy, you know, great. I also want to say like, I have a rescue dog, like, I love puppies, so I'm not saying that boy saving puppy is not a, an important thing. Um, but our niche <laughs> as ever writing circles is to sort of dive deeper. It's like not just boy saves puppy, but person finds a way to stop, you know, dogs going without a home, right? Like that's kind of like our niche is like who's yeah. solving the problem at a deeper level. And then I think there are other people that are doing more sort of, um, I want to say like spiritual kind of work. And that's not where we are, but a lot of like, I think goodness gets wrapped up in spiritualism and in self-improvement sometimes. So there's kind of like positivity that sits in that realm. So there is nuance, I think, to all of these good news spaces. And I think what we, what I found is there's a lot of it out there. Um, And we're not, (laughs) this is kind of a weird example. There are some people doing good news out there, but we're not like well organized (laughs) to like, pull ourselves Mm. forward in an organized movement. One of the people that we work with, um, she's actually trying to get people that are doing good in the world organized. So she was part of a former um, nonviolent extremist organization in, um, Mm. in London. And, uh, and they were, she like got out of it, but she learned from that, the tactics that these extremist groups that can be very violent, um, white nationalism, ISIS, um, how they, she learned how they recruit people. And she's, and how organized they are. Like, this is an organized system of how you recruit people to these things. And she's like, why are we not using this for people that want to do good in the world? Like all these people that are doing good are like out there alone, like working hard to put on the local community potluck dinner or support people or save the rainforest or whatever, but they're all alone. And, and if, if, if these organizations for bad, can organize themselves. Why can't all these organizations for good, like organize themselves? So I just think that that's a really Mm. important thing that we understand that there is a lot out there and that part of Mm -hmm. why we're building out the goodness exchanges so we can start to like put everything under one roof and recommend other things. And we've started to syndicate other organizations that are putting out different types of positive media um, so that we can start to give people like a whole toolkit um, of positive media Mm. that they can go to. Um, Two of the ones that we syndicate are um, GoodNet and they do kind of, Mm -hmm. they do stuff that's a little less in depth than us, but they put out a lot of content. And then we've got um, Mind Valley and they've kind of fall more in that like self help kind of personal growth field of positive news. But those are two people that we actually Mm. syndicate on our website because we love their stuff so much. And then they use some of our stuff on their sites. Um, which is like a really cool relationship that we were starting to build with more and more of these great thought leaders. Yeah. And the content on your website, is it uh, the authors on your website? Are they general public, like people like us? Or is it something, do you have a team of writers who churn content as you go? Yeah. So we do have a team of writers. Um, We had a full-time staff member who was writing and um, she moved on to other projects. And so now we, um, and now all of us kind of contribute um, as well. So we, we all, we all contribute on our team to the writing. It's a really big part of when we pitch content and when we make content that everybody who has so many different backgrounds and age groups gets to contribute to what we're saying. I think that's how we, that's how we um, create content. That's very that spans such a, a broad generational gap. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we have a, um, we have a team within us and we, we used to bring people on, but it's not always intuitive to write the way that we write. And so we found that like, we love when people pitch us stories that we can potentially write about, but it's a little more difficult uh-huh. when we bring on guest writers because we do have a very specific voice. Um, and it's a bit like, you know, you've got to train people and invest time and, cause it's not, I don't think it's intuitive for a lot of people to write in a positive way that includes everybody. Um, and does so yeah. in like a, in a way that doesn't feel like you're going to like a drum circle and like kind of woo woo stuff. So we have to like make mm. sure that 
Um, so we love when people pitch us stuff um, and then we will typically write about yeah. it within our own team. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned in our initial interaction uh, as well about the four shifts. Yeah. Uh, as well. Uh, what exactly is that? Yeah. So the four shifts, um, as I mentioned earlier, this this basic way of breaking yeah. down um, breaking down the sort of algorithms that live in our brain and the algorithms that live in our media, uh, right? Yeah. So this idea comes from, you know, essentially, firstly, I want to define an algorithm because I think we have this idea that yeah. the algorithms are the mysterious puppeteers that are like pulling on all the strings of how we use the media. Um, and that is not true. So algorithms started out as a way to make it easier for people to find what they wanted. So our brain uses yeah. algorithms. An algorithm is essentially something that makes it easier when you're presented with a bunch of decisions, it makes it easier for you to like make a final decision, essentially kind of. So like our brain runs yeah. an algorithm when we get dressed in the morning of what do I want to wear? What is the weather? Do I hate pink? Um, who am I going to see today? And then based on the algorithm or of what you're going to do today, you choose what clothes yeah. you want, right? You, you're not even looking if it's, if it's winter time, you're not looking at the tank top, right? You're just like, where is my warm sweater? Right? So algorithms that are presented on Facebook or on social media are doing a similar thing. They started out. I don't think they started out with a nefarious intent. What they started out by doing was being like, I'm going to learn that you like looking at pictures from your friend, Beth. And so I'm going to show you your pictures from your friend, Beth, more often. And maybe your friend, Kyle, who you don't like as much or don't interact with his media as much, I'm not going to show you as much stuff from Kyle. So that's kind of like how mm. it started out. And then what happened was this kind of snowballed right into like, it's not the algorithms that are like the puppeteers. It's the people that are like tuning the algorithms that are kind of the puppeteers there. And I don't mean puppeteers in a nefarious way. It's just how it is. Yeah. Like, I just want to present that as... I don't think we can be, it's not helpful to be afraid of these things if we have to understand them in order to be able to change them. And so algorithms have started making a lot of decisions for people. And so when it comes to the way that we've taught our algorithms, whether it's through Google or through Facebook or through Instagram, we've taught them what we want. I want lots of content of people doing yoga. I want lots of content of people doing cooking vegetarian food, whatever, right? Um, basically the four shifts seek, uh, sorry, pause, ignore, seek, and share. Those four things, if you use them more often, mm. if you're pausing before you're clicking on stuff, if you're ignoring stuff that is negative and you're ignoring stuff that is, ask yourself, does the world need more of this? Whenever you go click on something, mm. that's, that's what I'll put out there is like, not do I want more of this, yeah. but does the world really need more content about the Kardashians love lives or should we probably know more about yeah. like the ocean cleanup project? I think the ocean cleanup project is a great example of something that's gotten a ton of clicks. And so it's rising to the top of everybody's news feeds. Right. Um, mm. So ask yourself, does the world need more of this? Then you're, they're seeking out signs of goodness and progress. You're, you're, you're going and you're finding out more stuff about the ocean cleanup project or about team trees, or I'm just trying to think of like big social media things mm. that have gone big. And then you're sharing yeah. signs of goodness and progress. Like I mentioned, those are the, that's the biggest way, the gold star when you're an online content creator of like getting things out there. And so yeah, when we do those four things, we not only start to like retrain the algorithms that are existing in our sort of online lives, but we also are trying to, we're teaching our brains how to exist in the real world. And I'll give this quick example for the real world part of things. So mm -hmm. a friend of ours, when the pandemic started, she was like, we, we were talking to her and she was like, we were at like an outdoor get together you know, she's across the campfire and she's like, I went to the the grocery store today and these people were walking the wrong way and I can't believe people mm -hmm. are not caring and blah, blah. And she was just so irate. And I had just been to the grocery store and I was like, nifty, they're providing me with little tissues to clean off the thing. And look at how many people are wearing them. Like I came out of the grocery store same day with a completely different experience. And so we brought up the four shifts to her and like, we're like, okay, what if you did this when you walked to the grocery store, count the number of good things mm. that you see, not the number of bad things that you see, count the number of bad things, but you're going to yeah. see the good things are much higher. And she came to find out, like she called us later and she's like, oh my God, it turns out the grocery store isn't terrible. Like this happened and this happened and this happened. And it's, it's sort of like where we shine the spotlight of our perspective is where, what we're going to see. And I think that's a really big part of the, of the four shifts in themselves. It's like, we get to choose where we shine our spotlight of awareness. Like 
If I told you right now to be aware of the chair you're sitting on or wherever you're sitting, suddenly you can like feel the fabric on your butt. You can feel the pressure on your sit bones. Mm -hmm. You can maybe feel the ground beneath your feet, but you weren't aware of that five seconds ago before I told you to be aware of it. And so that same thing exists out in the real world and exists when you use the four shifts, your awareness will shift from the spotlight Mm -hmm. being on everything that's going bad around you and everything that makes you feel afraid or anxious to things that fill you with delight, fill you with joy, things that make you feel a sense of, of wholeness and instead of a sense of fear. Yeah. And and I think it comes back to what we discussed earlier as well, like positive thinking, just being joyful as well. I think I was watching a, uh, a video of Gary Vaynerchuk. Are you Mm -hmm. aware of him? Yeah, I know Gary. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was watching a video and I think one of his short clips, it changed my view of Mondays forever. Mm. Um, and he was, he's in the middle of New York city and, uh, uh, in the middle of a bustling street and he was saying do you do you realize do you understand how lucky we are to be born in this earth like what the chances are and now you're here complaining about how cold your coffee is or you're complaining about mondays you're complaining about how hot the the weather is you know instead of really absorbing everything around you and just enjoying it and just just pausing and thinking and realizing that you're so lucky to be here and mm-hmm. to make use of this life Mm-hmm. So I agree to what you you, you mentioned, and yeah, um, yeah just pausing. I think the first step to, to just to pause and look around you is um, it, it, it it's going to take you forward. Yeah, I think if that's the one thing, the mm. one practice that you develop, whether it's pausing before you engage in you know that Christmas fight with your uncle who you don't necessarily get along with, or pausing before you know the pause gives you the power to make a decision about what you're going to do next, yeah, um, or make an intelligent decision about what you're going to do next, or a thought out decision. Yeah. Um, and so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's in that pause that you can decide how you want to approach a given situation. Um, mm-hmm. And again, approach it in, in an intelligent way not in a way that feels like, oh, I need to pretend that this is good because like it'll make me a better person, but rather be able to maybe accept an experience in what it is. Like coffee is cold. That's kind of crappy, but like I I can't let it ruin my day, right? Like maybe that's like a bit of a a practical way of looking at it is if we give ourselves a moment to pause when it comes to these things that make us grumpy because they make us grumpy. They're not going to make us grumpy. I, there's a great thought leader that we work with, Sweekamar Rao, and he has this very funny way of saying that, like, all of the stuff that's in self-help and in philosophy and in Buddhism and not Buddhism in particular, like, singly, but, but in religion, mm. like, all of these, these things that are supposed to bring us to an ethereal plane, they work if you can go, like, there's a reason why monasteries are on, like, remote hilltops. It's because if you're on a remote mm. hilltop, you can, you're not bothered by the outside world. But like we're all bothered by the outside world. I don't think there's a single person on this planet who's yeah. like, oh God, right? So I think what we can do yeah. is give ourselves the grace, maybe laugh at ourselves and then be able to like, and in the pause, be able to make sense of what it is. And maybe it is just that you getting mad at your cold coffee is a way for you to acknowledge that you like walked into the day with a bad mood and maybe you need to like sit mm. down for a sec and just like, absorb the niceness around you or you don't want to like walk into work that way and make it you know i think for pausing when we find discomfort what we're allowing ourselves to do is alter our state of mind about that discomfort so we're not bringing it through our entire day it just lives in that one second um yeah i think that's really 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 a powerful way of Mm. of just nuancing just a little bit this idea of us needing to be grateful for things into like, why don't we like learn from wh- why we're uncomfortable yeah. and then not make it be our whole day. Mm. It's the same philosophy as if you're angry, do not send that email. Right. Just right. wait for a bit. Just go to bed. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Do not. Right. The and it's email, worked so don't well hit for me, send. at least. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, don't exactly, put, and yeah. don't actually put the off. email address up in the, in the box. Oh, oh that's important. <laughs> that's important. <laughs> so sometimes you press enter and it's gone. It's the gone. Gone. But there yeah. is a apparently yeah. the, there is yeah. a way to unsend an email now on Gmail. Yes, there is, and I do have the undo. Not yeah. because I'm sending mean emails. I want to point out it's just like I am a terrible <laughs> typo person, and I always yeah. have to check if I have like misspelled through or though or they. Um, oh yeah, boy. or thought those ones are all one word. <laughs> 
I think the worst I've done is send an email without an attachment and again, resend an email saying, sorry, if I forgot the attachment, forgetting it again. <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> and then the third so time, finally times. getting it. Or like sent the wrong <laughs> Zoom link multiple times and like queen of sending the wrong Zoom link. I, yeah, I, uh, the number, I think that anybody, I don't know. I feel like I have to have a lot of humility about myself and maybe it's good for all of us. It's uh-huh. like, you just have to be like, I'm human. The person getting this email is human. We all put our pants on backwards mm-hmm. sometimes and showed up to work before with like the the tag still attached. Like no mm-hmm. one is infallible on this planet and anybody that presents themselves as infallible, wow, they must be living like a really exhausting lifestyle because we mm-hmm. all have zits. And if you're really trying to cover that up really hard, it takes a lot of time. Um, yeah. And so I, I just, I think it's this idea that, and I think it goes back to kind of what we've been talking about. I think when we can connect with other people, the world seems less scary. And I think one of the best ways to do that is just have humility. Like when you trip on the street and, mm. and someone's staring at you and you can laugh with them instead of being like, Oh, oh I'm, you know, my facade of perfectness is gone. Um, you know, that, mm. that's a moment that you share with a stranger that is really kind of lovely. And so that's what I'm always looking for is like, if I'm dancing while I'm biking yeah. on a bike trail and I can make somebody like, you know, I'm bopping around and I can make somebody smile as I'm going by. Like, what does it care? I'm joyful. Yeah. They're joyful for seeing me. Can I make someone's day simply by like being myself mm. and allowing other people to be fallible as well as I think. hundred percent. But it comes with there. practice, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, it, <laughs> it comes with practice there. Yeah. Just accepting yourself for who you are and other people as well. Yeah. 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 And, and I yeah. Think not, not, again, it goes back to being a little bit non-judgmental about yourself or about the moment or mm. about whatever it is. It's like, this happened. Now I get to choose how I proceed, right? I can either proceed with anger yeah. myself and embarrassment, or I can proceed with a sense of like, maybe the other person on the other end has a sense of humor and I stand out on my job application because I'm the person who apologized profusely and now I can be like, hi, Gary, like I'm the one that sent the email the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's not my usual self, yeah. but, you know, Mondays, right? Like it gives us a way to c- converse with other people in a very human way. 100%, yeah. Liesl, so uh, before we head to the uh, the end of the podcast, I've had a lot of fun, but I wanted to ask you, what are you excited about? One specific thing, maybe something that you're excited about about the world today. Or what's to come? Yeah, yeah. I think what I'm most excited about is the fact that there is a community of people that like really do care out there. Um, They're listening to this podcast. They're you, they're I, they're, they're people out there that really do care. And I think we can very easily forget. We see there's this like 20% when we started ever writing circles, 20% of people always returned. And I think that that's an incredible number because 20% of people that you run into, if they love you, like that's incredible. If they like fall into being friends yeah. with you, that's incredible. And so I think that I am most excited by the fact that there is a 20% of this planet that appears to want goodness. And I think that that leads us to a tipping point that is really, really wonderful, whereby if we can get more people to look at the world with a sense of like fierce optimism, like, yeah, we're going to have to do hard things to make the world a better place, but we can do them. If we can bring people on that, Mm. on board with that idea, not a sense of future fatalism, that nothing that I do, it doesn't matter if I recycle, it doesn't matter if I do this. If we can bring people on board with a sense of fierce optimism. Yeah. These bad things are happening and I'm, and I feel capable of changing them. Then we have so much potential. We, we, we can, and we will get through hard things. We can, and we will find innovative ideas and right now we have the best toolkit that's ever existed in humanity's history to go and deal with these big problems. And I think that is what I am most excited about um, is, is making sure that everybody mm. is aware of that message. And those that choose to want to come along can come along. Right. I, I, I don't care if there are people that don't want to come along. That's, that's their prerogative. But if more people can hear that there is, there is a possibility that they can see the world in terms of, of fierce optimism, then the more the merrier and we've just got to keep letting the world know that's that's an option mm. wise birds thank you yeah <laughs> and, and and i wish you good luck as well with your uh, with your venture with uh, the um with the new change coming in as yes, well yes, um with you. goodness thank exchange you. yeah um and i must say the past few days looking at uh, just browsing through your website it's been uh, it's been fun it's very calming the fact that you let um, uh, there is a filter option for 
the number of minutes you want to spend on an article or reading or listening. Um, That's really good as well, because I think that's important uh, in today's fast paced world for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think, and sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, just going through the website and the article, it made me feel very good. Mm. And it, it made me feel very good about this interview as well. And uh, the fact that we we share, like human beings, we share a similar vision. We all want wealth, health, and we just want to be happy. Mm-hmm. And I think with a common goal, and you're working towards that as well for us, I would say, for the world. And we thank you for that. Oh, thank you so, so much. I really... This has been a wonderful interview, and I and I want to thank you so much for being a part of we call it the conspiracy of goodness. You know, being someone who not only believes that goodness is possible, but is spending their free time in the pursuit of 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 goodness in some way. So I want to thank you for being a part of that conspiracy of goodness, and and thank any of your listeners, all of your listeners, for taking taking an hour to hear about goodness. Like that makes you a part of the conspiracy of goodness because it empowers you to then take your next hour to do something good or the next day, just to take a moment to help someone out. So I want to thank you for being a part of that and thank your listeners for, for being a part of that because we need people from all over the globe um, organized as a focused beam of light on goodness. If we're going to, yeah, when we are going to um, make the world, the, I think the place that we want it to be. Yeah. Thank you, Liesl. I'm glad we had this. Yes, thank you so, so much. And um, I look forward to um, speaking again some other time. And um, thank you. Thank Absolutely. You. Yep, not a problem at all. Is there anything um, in particular you'd like to mention before we head off? Yeah, anything I think Anything you wanted to mention? Yeah. Yeah, so we are launching the new Goodness Exchange, which will be the the, the home for goodness on the internet, um, coming the beginning of December. Um, if you'd like to join us over there, um, we present uh, we put out new articles every monday wednesday and friday um we have podcast episodes we've got if you want to dive in deeper we've now got a whole community of goodness so everybody that wants to get away from the trollitude of facebook or other social media places we have our own social media site for those members that want to do good in the world um and who want to not only connect goodness but do good um we've got lots of ways different ways for you to dive deeper into the world of goodness so come join us over on the goodness exchange um it's going to be just an incredible time we're so so proud of the work that we've been putting together and can't wait to share it with the world Hmm. i'll keep an eye out as well yes please please do not a problem then uh thank you so much for listening ladies and gentlemen that was liesel ulrich verdebeer did i say it right ulrich verdebeer it's a tough one it's, it's oh you, you nailed the first part <laughs> i think he was going into like a madonna style thing where it's just one one name <laughs> uh but thank you so much for listening and um see you again <laughs>